fuck all about <laughs> about medievalism or anything like honestly like there's a lot of that about there's a lot of that about don't worry oh, <laughs> like, thank god you're here thank <laughs> god you're here like i don't think we've had anyone talk for anything earlier than about i don't know 1780 odd like so oh yeah our current cutoff is that right now there's been like a, a short dabble with shakespeare but that wasn't even a shakespearean like full-time person so did they talk about shakespeare oh it was like a, a mention. I mentioned a Shakespeare. Yeah, I got it. I feel it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's about it. And that's 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 as that's as low as we go. Well, I mean, I reckon that like, so you know, there there are reasons for this, and it's like it's really obvious a lot of the time the way that politics works. You know, with you know modern history being as we're still in the middle of it and everything. It's um, and sometimes it can be a little bit more like, oh yeah, well, medieval history is not something that happened back then, and it's not affecting us, and none of that. And so you know, I feel it. That's why you can get rid of it if you're a certain university. You just just cut that department. Yeah, you just like if that. Everybody knows it's the most it's the most useless history, and yeah. that's the reason that you can just choose to not do it is because. It, and the, your choice to not do medieval history has nothing to do with politics at all. Nothing. No, 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 no never. I mean, guys, guys, we're trying to decolonize the academy. <laughs> <laughs> the best way to decolonize the academy is actually to just never talk about medieval history. And then and you're done. Then you're done. That's it. <laughs> I'm sure there are no conversations like a lot of the time I just feel like uh, part of the reason why academia is being dismantled is um, like the wrong people got in to the academy and they were like, oh, fuck, it turns out there's a bunch of poor people in here now. Shut it down. <laughs> Shut it down. Shut it down. There's women. Who let them in? <laughs> it's like, not everyone here is white. Fuck. I came in like a wrecking ball. I never colonize the curriculum question number one what is your name <laughs> yanaga yes i should always remember i should lead with that with everyone i'm like it's yanaga yeah so it's like it's slovak so yan instead of jams yanaga yeah. what's your favorite um mispronunciation that you get i know dude well this is the thing it's like i completely you know obviously i'd be walking around with this name all the time and people don't <laughs> and, and i should know by now mm -hmm, over and mm -hmm. over again like the number of times i've started podcasts and people have been like oh wait fuck how do you say your name and i'm like oh yeah <laughs> like we just have to like start over again again um my least favorite but probably the most common is jenga i played that last night it's great in australia people couldn't handle it at all and they're always like janega I love how the Australian version is kind of really close to Jaeger. Like they're like, Janaga, Jaeger? Lovely, yeah. That's like a drink. I love it. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Long My Praxis. This week we're speaking with Dr. Eleanor. Not Jaegermeister. Janaegermeister, would, would that work? Is that new? Oh, you know what? Actually, if you want to start that happening, I'm completely fine with that. Yeah, let's, let's go. Janaegermeister? Yeah. Right. It's official. It's official. We've started it. We're speaking today with Dr. Eleanor Janegermeister, <laughs> a medieval historian whose research specialism sounds like my ideal post-COVID club night. Late medieval sexuality, apocalyptic thought, propaganda, and the urban experience. When not teaching at a variety of London universities, Dr. Janegermeister is the foremost authority on Middle Ages foreskin and is regularly on the radio whenever anyone needs to talk about medieval dicks. Described on her fantastic website, going at medieval.com as a quote sad sad medievalist dr janegermeister is committed to foisting medieval history upon the world in the most graphic of ways by which we mean to say that her forthcoming graphic guide to the middle ages will be out later this year and is available to pre-order now through waterstones welcome to the podcast hey thanks uh, for having me really um excited to do some full frontal medievalism you know <laughs> i mean we're excited for that like like well explain well i mean the problem with being a medievalist a lot of the time is that like i do find even though i'm um, a police abolitionist i'm also simultaneously the fun police a lot of the time <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite segue that's ever happened <laughs> I mean, I suppose that the thing is people are just trying to live their lives. Uh, and a surprising number of people are really interested in living their lives through the medium of slagging off imaginary medieval people to make themselves feel better. And I like to show up and be like, um, actually, it's not like that. And then, you know, like there's always someone on Twitter talking about how medieval people didn't bathe and I will immediately find it. And like, you know, and I, I just cannot let it lie. 
there's no particular reason. I should just allow it. Yeah, I can't, you know. Or it's like anytime you want to watch a medieval movie, I'll be like, well, actually, castles would have been very decorated inside. They like to have murals. The only reason it looks like stone is the plaster fell off the wall. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's awful, right? So it's like, you know, I, there are things, there are ways that uh, medieval history can be really fun. But I just also find that a lot of the time, that's not what I'm doing. I'm just being a killjoy, which is what the sad medievalist thing is. <laughs> Oh, great. I'm so glad we've got you here today. It's wonderful. <laughs> suck all the fun out of the room like a sponge. Fantastic. <laughs> you know, uh, or, you know, it's just the, the general thing, I think, as well. And I think most sex writers of whatever stripe would tell you this. You know, the other thing that I can do is just like, you know, pull all the fun out of sex immediately. I'll be like, hmm. you know, like I can overthink it. Like you'll be like, oh, this is about to be sexy. And I'll be like, yeah, you're not. Like, it's just and now this is not sexy at all it's just uncomfortable and dumb. did um did the cancellation of the uh the annual bad sex and literature award really affect you i mean let, let's talk about pandemic and how it's affected people like obviously archives have been closed but is was the bad sex award getting cancelled a big deal devastating on a personal and spiritual level hugely you know um i how else will i learn that uh, men think that like women orgasm if you like touch their breasts and that also women are proud of their breasts you know like and that's a you know a running model oh yes but also i saw one the other day that that breasts can get depressed Have, did you see this one that was like a yeah yeah the sad the sad boobs yeah that they the sad sad boobs sad titties where they just kind of like they they kind of retreat inside when you're feeling sad, just kind of retract oh. inwards. Oh, yeah, sad titties, sad titties. No, I was just gonna say, you know, without insights like that, you know, what do I have to work with? You know, I'm left with just kind of trawling Twitter to see what that guy who has the whole, you know, obsession with how men lean has to say, and like analyzing that, it's it's difficult. You know, it's a difficult situation. <laughs> yeah, one of the important things is um, I really like when men tell me how, as a woman. I am aware of my breasts at all times. Like when I'm walking, I, I'm just, I'm just aware of them. I, I think I, I, I try to be aware of little else, you know, an ideal world in an ideal world. I would just be, you know, titties on my mind 24 seven. It would just be me and the ladies uh, hanging out. I think there's a song called that, isn't there? Titties on my mind 24 seven. What a difference a titty made. We know fuck all about the medieval period like absolute fuck all we are the worst guys um so a according to the wikipedia it's like 10 centuries long centuries long. long so you know about length of 2020 that was alex's joke that i just stole <laughs> but um dum um <laughs> what is medieval period like what 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 is medieval like what is it the reason that it's long, right, is and the way that we define it, it's the super Eurocentric definition, and it's essentially from the fall of Rome to force in four seventy six to question mark, and it's like what what the end of it is really depends on who you're talking to. Um, so, for example, you, there's an argument to be made that you know fourteen ninety two and the establishment of the Columbian Exchange is the end of the medieval period uh, because when Europeans start interacting more with the wider world, then the medieval period is over. Um, there's an argument <laughs> interacting. to interacting, stealing <laughs> shit. Let, let's, let's remind ourselves that there's no uh, colonial col uh, conversations happening in this period. No, no, no. Um, because, you know, just getting rid of medieval history to decolonize the curriculum, just saying. <laughs> exactly, which... <laughs> I have things to say about it. So, I mean, the other, uh, you know, another popular end to the medieval period is like, I don't know, uh, like Martin Luther putting up the 99 Thesis in 1517. Uh, for me, since what my um, area of expertise is Czech people, I kind of say that like post the Hussite rebellion, that's, that's the modern period for me. So when you have a decisive break with the church, then that's the modern period. Um, so the term, you know, Middle Ages or medieval literally means kind of like the in-between time. And the idea is it's like, you know, the majority of human history, the ancient world, medieval people, us in the modern world. And that's and uh, so medieval history kind of straddles the two things. And 
you know, one of the reasons why we don't know a lot about medieval history usually, and, you know, I, I knew very, very little about it before I got to university. And then I was just kind of like swayed by the wrong group of people and ruined my life. Uh, <laughs> but it's like, you know, we define it as being this, you know, the thing that defines the medieval period is in between these two periods, which within history and the way that we talk about them are kind of like defined by imperialism. Yay. Yay! So it's like, oh, the good ancient world where there was good, big, violent slave empires like Rome, which is good. A star, gold plus. Everybody loves Rome. We love to slave. Fantastic. <laughs> then there was the bad medieval period. Boo! There were hardly any slaves taken from other places. And, you know, Europeans were not bossing a lot of Africans around for no real reason. Boo, boo! Bad! Boo! We don't like it. But then Europeans got back on a boat and took over a lot of places and did violent imperialism. Yay! Again. Yay modern! Good! Woo! Yay! And so, like, very ironic like the idea of you know when you talk about oh we'll decolonize the curriculum by getting rid of medieval studies which is just like it's like laughable because it's like that that is the bit when we were not do we were not doing the imperialism that like we were not doing the colonialism at the point and what you want to do is you want to specifically get rid of the point when we were not doing it so much okay like, I mean, and obviously it's laughable. Everybody knows that they're just getting rid of the medieval department to get rid of the medieval yeah. department. Um, but the reason why you want to get rid of medieval departments is that medieval history doesn't serve the prevailing narrative that we like, which is that, you know, Europeans are these great righteous people who build wonderful empires and very rightly and justly go out and conquer the world. And it also sets the medieval period up to be this really helpful scapegoat where we love the idea that, oh yeah, oh medieval Europeans were just rolling around in the mud and they were all fucking idiots who... They never washed. They never washed and they thought that the world was flat and they were all stupid as hell and that like everything was great under Rome and then it all fell apart in the medieval period. And it's like that all of those things are patently untrue. It's definitely not the case. But like every time something kind of fucking stupid happened in the past, people will like blame medieval people for it. Where it's like, you know, when they want to, if people want to make fun of like pre-modern medicine and like, let's be real, you know, we don't get germ theory until the 19th century. So up until the 19th century, that's cute that you think you've got some medicine. It don't work. You know, like it doesn't matter who's doing it. It's more like a vibe. <laughs> system but when people talk about humoral theory which again in play up until the 19th century people are like those fucking medieval people they're just so stupid and they'll just try to well, bleed that file, honestly it's like for fuck's sake that's like that's an ancient greek and ancient roman medical thought like i mean i've literally seen pieces of you know written history one time i um accosted a woman on a bus who was writing a horrible history was reading a horrible history to her daughter and it was talking about the dark ages and her daughter asked for some clarification and she was like well the romans had wonderful medicine and i was like no <laughs> you got on the wrong bus bitch and then the mother shoot her daughter off the bus but mommy mommy this isn't our stop <laughs> extremely traumatized some lady and her daughter but it's like you know there's this we will make up narratives about empires you know even to the point where we'll just lie to ourselves and say oh they had workable medicine they had all these things and we'll make up narratives about the medieval period so that we can justify the shit that we do now because it's like oh yeah well the only way to have nice things is to have a bunch of slaves and if you don't have a bunch of slaves then you just can't have nice hey if we don't have slaves we're gonna end up like medieval people rolling around in the muck in having yellow bile like that's just what will happen you know and so it's like this the entire thing is a really contrived way of looking at history and as a result we don't really get to le learn about medieval history as Foucault has stated the disappearance of public executions marks therefore the decline of the spectacle but it also marks the slackening of the hold on the body or in the words of N.C. Hammer you can't touch this everybody be loving titties you can footnote me on that Dr. Eleanor Jägermeister. Yeah, exactly. Just get my citations up, baby. Like, but it's like what a good what a good titty was. Uh basically and good titty was not what we would consider it now. Because like now we're very much of the uh consideration that like um the best titties are large. That's kind of mm -hmm. like a, you know, obviously this is a huge generalization about a uh, culture. 
and society. But I think that we could safely say that. It's like when we celebrate boobs, you know, the hooray for boobies cover, it didn't have no A cups. That's all I'm saying. Right. <laughs> Whereas for like medieval conception of booty, they're really about smaller tits. Like that's mm. not where it's at for them. And they, they like boobs and they talk about them a lot. But for them, your ideal body on a woman is like a pear shape. You want like small titties that are up real high, like the highest possible titty. Like, you know, they got all kind of man ideas about this where it's like titty on your shoulder and like tit just, you know, it's titty just in the face. Um, you know, <laughs> and, and then you would have kind of like a really small waist and then like a Pixar mom dump truck ass. That's like <laughs> what the ideal the ideal body is uh for medieval people and uh um, talking like elastical kind yeah, of yeah exactly it's like we want so you're looking for that pair at all times and that's what's considered really gorgeous um and i you know and you'll see this over and over again if you start looking at medieval pictures whatever you see of like a medieval nude like that's that's the body she's packing and it's quite funny because I always like to uh, get in fights with like um, Evo psychologists, like my, uh, the, my, my great nemeses in life are um, evolutionary psychologists uh, because they just make shit up and I hate them. <laughs> and so, like one of the things that they love to do is be like, oh, everybody's always been obsessed with the hourglass shape. And we all love the hourglass shape because we can tell that a woman is fertile if she has an hourglass shape. And it's like, that's just like all literally look at one painting from the medieval period tell me the tiny titties and the big ass like that are everywhere everywhere i have just googled for my sins medieval nudes and what has come up is uh, uh a blog post from the british library which looks precisely what you're saying here the kind of like tiny titties and pear-shaped butt and just like a fine specimen of a woman <laughs> what has come up next to it repeatedly is a lot of real full frontal shots of quite um, wide openings, Ooh. I would say, uh, of women holding swords and wearing chainmail hats, but nothing else, which I don't think is what you would wear into battle. But they are definitely, um, I mean, a different aesthetic to pear shaped and tiny titties. You know, I think mm. that this is one of my top tips for if you want to find actual medieval images of sex is always put in medieval manuscript and then whatever it is you want, because otherwise it's just porn. Uh, yes, because this is these are not manuscripts. I've got to say, there's my search history is now slightly cursed. Yeah, it's like, is that on a tapestry, Alex? <laughs> like but speaking of manuscripts, we have a question about manuscripts, which is illuminated bushels of dicks. That's the question. Yes. Okay, so yeah, the answer is yeah. You know, so moving on. Um, but yeah, illuminated bushels of uh, dicks. And obviously the really famous one of the illuminated bushels of dicks is um, from the BNF Francais. Uh, oh, I can't. You sh I would, should probably know it off the top of my head, but it's a, a Bibliothèque Nationale de France um, copy of the Roman de la Rose. And it's got um, a bunch. It's got a couple of nuns. A, gathering dick in baskets. Love to see it. Classic Fantastic. nuns. Classic. Celebrate it. Um, and then also a nun... Um, like having sex with a monk and kind of like leading him around uh, like with a leash on his dick. Kinky. And then um, having sex in a hay bale as one does. Um, but it also is a trope that we see uh, come up repeatedly. So for example, there are murals in Italy that have dick trees on them. Mm -hmm. It comes up really uh, commonly with Alolan's um, pewter pilgrim badges. So there's kind of like a, there was a very much a vote, you know, like the, the most famous pilgrim badge is uh, for going on pilgrimage to San Diego de Compostela in Spain. And you get just a, a seashell, like a little um, scallop shell, uh, mm -hmm. because one of his miracles was that his corpse fell into the sea and came out covered in scallop shells. So there you go. But you could get a pilgrim badge for any pilgrimage that you go on. And there is a real vogue in the kind of lowlands, at least in the late medieval period, where people like to have like these super obscene pilgrim badges that are made mm. out of, of, of pewter. And there's just dick trees everywhere there. There's like dick carrots, like people like pulling up dicks out of the ground like a carrot. There's like <laughs> dick wheelbarrows. There's like uh, plantain dicks. Just dick across the shop and uh just like so many dicks everywhere but why we don't really know because like so on the one hand one of the wise is it's funny okay, okay. Like it's just, 
this is why I love medieval history. There was just like, there's loads of really cool shit going on. Why is it there? I don't know, but it's fucking great. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, the answer is part of it is that it's fucking great. That's funny. That's just funny. That's like one part of it is that it's just like, you know, like it's it's just a victory is objectively funny. That's funny. So that's like one way. <laughs> you know? It has um, been historically yeah. funny. It will remain funny for millennia to come. Exactly. Um, then on top of that, there is like, so for like the dick tree mural and stuff, there are kind of like some questions about like, oh, is this like a fertility thing? Like maybe it's like, oh yeah, you know, dick tree, a sign of fecundity sort of a thing. Um, with the nuns picking the dicks off the tree, there's also kind of just, you know, the generalized trope of like, you know how horny nuns are like a trope now? Same, same, you know, like uh, horny nuns is just like, oh yeah, I, I bet those nuns are horny. I'm not Googling that. No, don't, don't Google that. Yeah, do not, absolutely do not Google that. There's no way. It's not gonna be <laughs> so it's like it's there is the same idea of that like you know nuns must be really horny and to be fair there are you know a fair percentage of the clergy at any point in time misbehaving and having sex and we have like you know examples for example this uh one that we uh found very recently in leeds we know it's in york but her name is joan of leeds and uh she was a nun and she put a fake body in her bed at night so that like no one would think that she'd like left and she ran away to go bone some dude and like the archbishop was looking for her and there was this big proclamation like being she's oh she's out there she's uh abandoned the nunnery to uh pursue the way of carnal lust oh yes uh, we don't know if they got her back we don't know we, or she was just like out she was just like i'm out with the deep. bye you know how there's those threads that pop up every now and then um on like oh i'm, I'm leaving academia and this is the post and the thread about why i'm leaving academia they should just post that yeah, just be like, get that D. <laughs> you know, that's my quitlet. <laughs> Speaking of nuns, um, though, I mean, you've, you've spoken about nuns going off for the peen, but like, are all nuns lesbians? So, I mean, a fair few nuns are lesbians. <laughs> like, I mean, to be clear, um, you know, it's, it's a non-zero number, we'll put it that way. Um, my, you know, asterisk here is that for medieval people, there isn't a real concept of sexuality like we have it. So there's no like you can't one is not straight and one is not gay in the medieval period because that's not like oh, the medievals just knew exactly what to do, didn't they? That was just the way it should be. Oh, so good. Yeah, they're just basically they're like it's about action. So it's like if it, yeah, they, it's about getting some. It's about getting some. The end. That's it. <laughs> So it's like, so one is either a, a sodomite or one is not, essentially. And so to be fair, um, if you're straight, you too can be a sodomite, provided um, you engage in any of the good kinds of sex, which is to say like oral or uh, mutual masturbation, um, frittage. Medieval people are really into frittage. There's a lot of talking about frittage. Um, and of course, anal, which is what we tend to uh, say sodomy is now. But just to be clear, I will never get tired of saying it. Sodomy is any kind of sex that cannot uh result in procreation Ooh! oh my god it's my favorite type i know right all the good ones <laughs> <laughs> basically i'm like that's the only kind i've ever had oh because technically if you know if you're on birth control and stuff that's it you're technically a sodomite even if you could be having the most you could be having just like married penis and vagina sex to the exclusion of all else and just, just p's and v's all over the shop nothing else um, and provide if you're on birth control, you're technically a sodomite oh, right yes. now. So you know, uh, but I mean, obviously, gay people if having sex. Alex is like, finally, I'm not the boring <laughs> like heterosexual shit one. Like, yes, she's like, finally, Alex is like, finally, I'm a sodomite. <laughs> finally, I'm deviant. Sodomy, baby. Um, and I'm just like, bitch, please. <laughs> it's just because you want to be me, Alex. Like. <laughs> So, so yeah, it's like obviously the deal with uh, what we would call gay people, though they're they're definitely sodomites, right? Because I mean, and obviously I'm talking about cis people here. Um, we do know that uh, trans people existed in the medieval period. Uh, they pop up from time to time. Interestingly, really often in like monasteries, <laughs> but uh, that's like a good place to go and be trans. Uh, but it's like. Uh, so, you know, we're talking about, if we're talking about cis people, it's like two cis people of the same sex getting it on, they, they can't get pregnant, so they're definitely sodomites. 
and we know that like nuns and stuff are are having it off with each other because we also have like their love letters and stuff left over and you know it's like sometimes you read them and they're like really like you're just like oh ladies the love's so pure and they talk about they little titties they talk about they little titties. And they're all like, oh, I oh, love the titty, way- tiny titties and pear shaped booties. Yeah, they're like, I love the way you touch my little titties. And I'm like, ladies, oh. I, I was going to ask as well, like, so my shit conception of the medieval period, like, I seem to remember slash think that there's still a sort of idea about, like, beauty and, like, white, white, white skin. In which case, I'm ginger and very pale, so I have quite veiny boobies. Would that be would that be okay in the medieval period? <laughs> well, that would be that would be that's the business, right? Because the thing that you want the most is super white skin, um, and you want it to be like pale as snow is the thing. But you should have pink cheeks, so you should have a facial complexion of roses and snow. But then the rest of your skin should be white, um, and you should have a, uh, and you should have a neck like a swan. Should have a white neck like a swan. That's really important. Uh, so yeah, it, it's like I love this. I want someone to make a sketch of this. Okay, so like super, super, super pale, snow white skin, really long swan neck, pink cheeks, teeny tiny titties that are also on their shoulders, pear shaped butt. Like medieval women standards, just just they're just too like that's an impossible, impossible beauty standard. An impossible beauty standard. I mean, and the thing is that a lot of these beauty standards like also kind of have their roots in just what is difficult to attain, and that's kind of the point of it, right? Is like in a world where you know eighty percent of people work in the fields, it's really fucking difficult to maintain perfectly white skin, right? If you're out just like bringing in the turnip crop day in and out, you know you're gonna get burnt especially in a world before sun cream and you know, you're going to tan and that's how it'll be. So it's kind of a way of establishing rich ladies who get to ponce around in castles all the time and don't have to see the sun as on top of a beauty hierarchy. You know, it's, it's kind of like how now we like tan skin because we associate it with going on holiday, you know, it's sort of like, or like the free time outside. It's like, Oh yeah, well now tan skin is attractive because that's now the difference thing to get it's like whatever is most difficult that's the thing that women are supposed to be doing is just like the most difficult possible thing and that's kind of like what it is with like the teeny tiny titty thing it's like well if you're a mother of like seven or whatever that's not what's going on there is this kind of like you know connection you know there's a reason why one of the reasons that uh, women have wet nurses and stuff is that they like bind their tits up right after they have um they hand their baby off to the wet nurse and then it's like it keeps their titties smaller and perfect yeah, I'm, I'm sure it's really fucking sore as well. I would not like to do it personally. <laughs> I would not. I would not like to be um, a medieval lady. Is one of the things that I often think, and I'm very glad that I'm just you know overthinking medieval women as a modern woman here. You know, as shit as this is, it's like still better. You know, like it's better. To find out more about how Athena Swan can support you, contact your faculty champion. Um, but we normally ask people for a boring fact about themselves. A thing that is boring is my interest in cycling. I like to ride bicycles. That's dull. Yeah, that'll kill a conversation. That'll kill a conversation dead. <laughs> but are you one of those people that has like invested a fuck ton of money into your bikes, like middle-aged old men? No, I really wish I I could. I've got okay. I've got very much like a Honda Civic type bike where it's like, you know <laughs> the Honda Civic of bikes. Yeah, that's very much that was Civic pretty bike boring. it's pretty fast and pretty like good, all things considered. Uh but you know, if mm-hmm. I was like you know, I'd be seeing them nice bikes, but I live in South <laughs> London. Like you can't just go around having a nice bike. Mm-hmm. Like you have a you can have a nice bike for about half an hour. You know, then and then you don't have. Are to you perform. are you into bikes purely because it gives the excuse to wear cycle shorts, which are padded, which therefore means that you could like kind of get closer towards the Pixar booty that is definition of medieval women. Look, first of all, I I really want to reject the idea that I do not already have Pixar mom dump truck ass because I mean I, to be fair, I can't you know, see no. so. so yeah. <laughs> But uh, I. But you're right. That was that was presumptuous. Okay. Yeah, how how would you know? You know about my juicy peep. I wouldn't. I can only see your shoulders up, and I can't. You know, there's no titties on them shoulders. So. 
there's no there's no there's no titties on them so i'm i'm you know so yeah so I, yeah so you're just assuming so you're assuming which is fair but um yeah so i i mostly just think that it's quite fun i like to go i like to ride a bike and go fast so yeah like there is no i mean although oh, no, see, this is the thing segue into a non-boring thing about me i'm part of a cycling club that is mostly for people who work in the adult film industry called porn peddlers <laughs> amazing how does one get into that as a group like is that just on like meetup.com well basically i was aware I was aware that they existed because of like sex writer mafia bullshit, you know, um, kind of a thing. Um, and because I write about sex, sometimes, you know, work with people who are in the porn world and that sort of a thing. Um, I got invited to join and I was like, I think you, I will. Uh, and it's great. Sometimes I get to hang out with the cock destroyers. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Cock destroyers are in my cycling club. Who's in your cycling club? That's right. No one. Right. Yeah. Oh, now everyone's interested. Now everyone wants to know about Eleanor. Yeah, now, <laughs> this is no longer a boring fact. You've ruined everything. We ask our guests for a Tinder bio, and then we we assess um, by the way swipe left or right. So, could you indulge us? What's your academic Tinder bio? Yeah. So my academic twitter bio for this i've decided is going to be um i like my real life sex like my sex history critical oh yes mm-hmm. I, I like it my yeah my question is is, is the criticism during or after <laughs> You see, this is like, you know, me being uh, political about, you know, like about sex, which is, you know, the other way that I tend to make things unfun. So I've got this like stated position where it's like, so, you know, we all know what like sex negativity is, which is like our world in general. Uh, No, sex is great. You know, to quote St. George Michael, sex is natural. Sex is good. Not everybody does it, but everybody should. Preach. Um, You know, which I'm not, I'm not here to disparage George Michael, but. I think sometimes that also swings the pendulum too far in the other direction. And it kind of creates an environment, which is saying that like everyone should always necessarily be up for sex. And like, Oh, if you're not that into it, then like what's wrong with you and like sex, sex is so sexy and blah, blah, blah. And so where I am is somewhere in the middle, which is sex critical, which is, I think that we have to kind of like unpack the ways that we're using sex and what the meaning behind that is in order for us to get anywhere because it doesn't it doesn't do you any good to kind of like lurch from one extreme to the other and you know indeed one of the things that one finds a lot of the time in communities that are like in theoretically like sex positive is a lot of the time you see kind of like really poor behavior being kind of bundled up with this sort of like oh sex positivity where if you're like hey i just don't touch my ass randomly person i've never met they're like oh what do you say sex negative and it's like so you know i don't want it like we gotta we can't go that far we've got to like we got to sit here and unbundle yeah there's a difference between sex positive and, and consent yeah. right yeah yeah yeah. like you know it's a million things we could all say about like do not start me on the consent bus it just, just I'll do, I'll do about that but yeah, it's like, so, you know, or, or like, or, you know, when people are like, especially like with, with the, con- the conception of like sex positivity and consent, then you just immediately get into like that basic team consent nonsense where it's like, oh, it's that easy. It's a cup of tea. It's either yes or no. And it's like, I will murder everyone in their sleep. <laughs> consent is very difficult and we need to be paying attention to it all the time. It's not like a cup of tea. I hate you. <laughs> so it's like, you know, so I'm, I'm really unfun. That's my point. Um, you know, consent is, is. See, now I'm just like ripping off my my boyfriend's work, um, who is a sex educator. Because that is like a handshake, where it's like there's a particular script that we have around it where we all, everyone has to shake hands, but that's not something that always works for each other. So maybe we can just talk very specifically about how we're going to shake hands. But sometimes that makes it kind of weird for you if you mapped everything out. So like the best possible handshake is when we're paying really close to each other like really close attention to each other's body language, what we're doing, really tuning into what the handshake is doing. And that's what good consent is like, is where you're really paying attention to other people all the time and always giving them room to do whatever it is they're going to do and not grabbing their asses at parties (laughs) in the name of sex positivity. So, you know, um... consent is not teabagging. Consent is not (laughs) grabbing asses. 
I mean, maybe <laughs> sex could be teabagging. Sex could be teabagging. Would that be sodomy? Yeah. 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 That would would, be yeah. That's definitely sodomy. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Sodomy. Chill. That should be like the tagline for Tetley. No. <laughs> Tetley teabags. Definitely yeah. sodomy. Like. <laughs> 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 I would. I would definitely. I'll switch my brand for that. Yeah, there or, you, you know, PG tips. Oh, just the tip. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. We invite you to revise and resubmit. So, you know, if we're talking about actual douches, like in the mod, in sort of our contemporary period, then... um apocalypse now or apocalypse then i came up with that earlier so i thought it was fun. oh that's really good that's really good yeah i'm just you know I, I need validation this is the whole reason i came into academia and the whole reason that i forced alex to have a podcast with me um so <laughs> so what so what how did the medieval period conceptualize apocalypse seeing as we're kind of in one right now kind of well in a really similar way um, actually, and this is one of the reasons why I think that um, apocalypticism is a good thing to think about, is because there's a lot of people who really do believe the same thing that medieval people did. And, um, you know, at its heart, Christianity is a linear religion. Okay, there's like, it's 100% saying that there that time is a flat line, we are somewhere in the middle moving towards a very inevitable end. Um, and that this is some, and this is something, you know, to be fair that like, you know, Jesus talks about in the gospels, it's referenced all through the shop. And, you know, you the idea of you as an ideal Christian is that you're supposed to be preparing yourself for this inevitable end time, preparing your soul, this sort of a thing. Um, and a lot of the hallmarks of this sort of, um, medieval apocalypse is a, medieval apocalypticism which to be fair is also kind of the same as late antique apocalypticism uh in many ways um are still on display so for example you know the reason why um you know america is like really uh, gung-ho about uh for example move um supporting the Israeli capital being Jerusalem is um, for this really anti-Semitic gross reason, which is that for the apocalypse to happen in Christian narratives, um, the Jewish people all have to be fooled by Antichrist, uh, who's going to be the king, who's going to be the new king of Jerusalem. Um, and all the Jewish people are going to follow Antichrist because, you know, Jewish people are bad and stupid. Um, and they're all going to believe that Antichrist is the Messiah. They'll all convert to false um, anti-Christian uh, messianism. He'll torture a bunch of people. The, the Basically, the faithful will be persecuted. All this stuff will be bad. Books will get burnt. It's going to be a bad time. Um, then the preachers, Enoch and Elias, who we never heard died in the Old Testament, are going to show back up and be like, hey, Mr. Antichrist, you knock this off right now. Get dead. And then he's going to be like, no, I'm going to kill you. And then he'll kill them. And then after three days, their bodies will ascend into heaven. Then Antichrist will get pissed off about this. And then he's going to try to ascend into heaven after them to prove that he is really the Christ. Um, and he'll use some demonic magic to float up into the air, at which point in time, quote, the spirit of Christ's mouth will strike him down to earth and he will die. And then everyone will go, oh shit, was that Antichrist? Oh fuck, oh no, man. And then either we're going to have a 10,000 year reign of peace where everyone is like, oh, we're all good Christians now that we saw that the Antichrist was all the Jewish people will convert to real Christianity. Finally. Um, and then either you're going to have the 10,000 year reign of peace or, or you're going to go straight to the end times and like, you know, the seas will dry up. The mountains will be, you know, plagues, plagues, plagues. Mm. The beast comes out of the pit, the end of the world, you know, Classic. standard. And the thing about it is we can all hold our hands and go, Oh, well, this is like really disgusting, but there is a group of people who vehemently believes this and it drives like American political, you know, will on, on the, on a global scale. And, you know, they're, they're fairly upfront about it. Like, uh, you know, Mike Pence made specific reference to this, you know, um, it's not like, it's not a joke. So, you know, um, medieval apocalypticism in that way um, is the same old apocalypticism as it's ever been. And we do still have these same tendencies, you know, now. So it's like in the medieval period, you know, like, dude, if you had to live through the Black Death and 25% of the entire world population died, 
like and say it's you live in uh for example florence and it's like 60 percent of the city's population died you too might be like this might be the end times you know um and people who are kind of like really raised in this uh particularized uh system of christianity that really puts emphasis on that are, are trained to always be looking for that sign you know they're like what's this sign what's that sign and people do that now so you know for example when people would talk about the fall of the crusader states they would identify you know the muslim armies there as the hordes of gog and magog who are two of the monsters that are going to come at the end of the world um and you know i've seen american evangelicals identify for example iraqi people or um the iranians as the hordes of god and gog and magog now so it's helpful to have to keep an eye on what it is that medieval people think about uh the apocalypse because um you know there's a lot of there's a not like an insignificant number of people who still actually believe that and hold a lot of power which is really disturbing so you know i try to keep on top of it cut my life into pieces this is my research methodology i mean i want to go back to a certain point thing you, you just said a, um, a little bit ago though which is um the idea of flat earth are you telling me that flat earthers are actually medievalists i'm telling you actually that flat earthers are stupider than medieval people because medieval people emphatically believed the the globe was round like they knew about the globe everyone was super clear on the whole fucking globe thing like we we had that globe thing on lock we may have had flat titties but we don't have flat earth welcome to the medieval period so if flat earth isn't like a total medieval thing then is QAnon related to the medieval periods? Like, I'm just trying to think through conspiracies. So, uh, yeah, I would say yes. So, you know, one of the things, there are several things about QAnon that I find to be, you know, quite medieval. Um, one of them is their kind of relationship to the conception of knowledge generally. Um, and I will uh, shout out uh, my good friend and uh, the the other half of medieval dick twitter um the good dr sarah obergstradel who has written about this for my blog for me but the way that medieval people for example conceptualize knowledge is that um when we were in the garden of eden we knew everything and like kind of knowledge was perfect and divine because we were in you know close proximity to god and since leaving the garden of eden everything has been sort of like progressively decaying and we're kind of like a moving further and further away from a perfect divine revelation and truth. And that's really similar to the way that QAnon people think about things. It's like, oh, there's this like hidden sort of lacuna that that is keeping us away from knowing what's really going on in the world. And we did have everything together, but, you know, this clandestine group of individuals is keeping that knowledge from us and keeping us from this like divine and hidden knowledge. Um, there's also, of course, within Q, like the major anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. I mean, like this is just kind of like uh, blood libel 2.0 uh, in many ways. Um, blood libel being uh, the generalized um, Christian idea that Jewish people were kidnapping Christian children, um, using them in like inverted dark masses and then like killing them, draining of their of their blood and like eating them you know, normal stuff. Uh, and uh, that's Classic. very, very similar, similar to the whole like Q, like adrenochrome thing. Like, you know, they think that Hillary Clinton is torturing children and um, draining adrenochrome from their brain. Yeah. They, uh, the, so children have to be scared in order to, adrenochrome comes from the adrenaline and it keeps the, the liberally young and yeah, and and Wayfair are also involved in sex trafficking via furniture. Oh yeah, and the laser. There was something about a laser. Yeah, maybe. Jewish space lasers in space. That was um, what's her name? Space lasers in space, of course. Yeah, that's what caused the California forest fires. Oh, you know, yeah. So you know, Jewish people doing nefarious things. Yeah, standard. So you know, there are all these real. Or, you know, you, you'll see stuff like um, your man there, um, what did, was in the uh, capital coup, that Q shaman guy. Um, he had, like, all these kind of, like, faux Viking tattoos. Uh, <laughs> the shaman. I know. And, like, and, you know, so, which is kind of, like, 
very much linking him to this sort of imagined medieval past that like full of pure white people who like got you know vikings in particular everybody likes that because you know they're violent and they did do slaves so again here we go anybody who do slaves good like everyone else bad so you know vikings go around and do some slaves so we like them so uh you know get that tattooed on your titty um make a really kind of offensive vaguely native american headdress wear that do a little coup why not classic you know like i'm not um i'm not qualified to talk about all the ways in which um that douche wearing his fake native american bonnet are offensive but like just trust they're extremely offensive. yeah that's that's all you know i'm pretty sure whenever you see a white person wearing a native american headdress it's fucking offensive. Yeah, they should just not that you know just my argument is they no, should just not don't i would simply not do that please just stop just no more mm. there's a real period in the aughts where there was a lot of that going on man it's like you could not go to a club in sydney in the aughts without some girl wearing one of those and me just cringing this is the end my only friend the end file save as underscore final underscore final final underscore capital letters final draft okay well, i think we have like one final question to 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 really dig into which is basically is courtly love this is a very different track of discussion courtly love is it just a thinly veiled cover for incel culture wow i love this question um, because I feel like incel culture is basically replicating courtly love tropes all the time. It's all like, you know how ladies just be controlling the entire romantic discourse all the time and ladies be sluts. They just be, they be slutting. <laughs> they're they're tiny titties. Trying to get their tiny titty rubbed <laughs> by whoever, whomstever, except not some dude with a neck beard. You- Take that, Gawain. You ain't got a neck, lol. Oh my god, I want to, side, side note, I'm so frustrated that the Green Knight is not out yet. I'm just trying to, like, look at Dev Patel. Oh my god, I really want to watch it. I want to look at Dev Patel in a really respectful way. <laughs> just just pure respect. That's exactly how a lot of us watch David Copperfield. Like, as a Victorianist, I can say. But, you know, as a Victorianist who is in a same-sex marriage, I can still say that uh, David Copperfield was totally for research was just nothing but respectful and it added it added to my work mm-hmm. but and like for those not aware i guess i'll do the what is courtly love thing which is kind of like um it starts out at like literature for rich people but everyone gets quite into it because it's a bit of fun um then it's literature for horny people no it's like it's way horny it's like very very horny um and it's a bunch of stories about <laughs> um knights trying to get it on with married ladies essentially that's like that's it um so basically you know when you're very very rich and well to do in the medieval period odds are you're married because that's the political thing to do some money exchanged hands some power exchanged hands and that's why you are married so you're not that into your spouse and that's you know fine um so if you want like love and hot sexy sex that's something that you have to seek extramaritally um, and, you know, it, there are people in the medieval period who are married for love, but it's much more likely to be commoners who can make these decisions. So it's like peasants, peasants do whatever the fuck peasants want to do. Nobody cares, you know, so that's fine. Uh, but marriage isn't conceptualized as a romantic office. It's, it, it's about, it's a property exchange and a religious office, and that's what it is. So do you want to have hot, sexy times, though? answer yes probably and you especially probably want to if you're like a bunch of like young dudes hanging out with a bunch of other dudes just duding around all the time on horses um and then like you go home and see like the lady of the house and she's looking quite fine she got a t- tiny titty on lock you know she got that white skin she got swan neck you don't know <laughs> you don't know um and so, <laughs> she got that dump truck ass you know it you know it so um basically they write each other a lot of poems and they're like hey girl i love you really oh no but we can't i'm married oh no but oh what if we did Ooh, it would be real hot um and that's what the genre is as a whole and that's like you know the like one of the most famous stories is of course like you know the camelot stories and it's about guinevere and lancelot getting it on and we must remember that guinevere was married to Arthur. 
you know, but the big love story is her and that's a lot. Um, and then they bone and then Camelot is destroyed. The end. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. Oops. It really, really um, does align with the way that incels see the world, which is that there's like this bunch of nefarious women who are like controlling all sexual access at all times. And they're only giving it to Chad Knights. Um, <laughs> like, and they're also cucking their husband, you know, and literally my least favorite word ever. Oh my God. It just, it gives me such the heebie-jeebies. Like just, oh, cucking. I can't say it. I hate it. Oh God. Medieval people fucking love cuckling. That's what they're all about. That's their, their, their whole, their whole vibe, except they're more like, this is romantic. <laughs> <laughs> You better romance right there. That's how you know something is romantic. So, like, it really feeds into this kind of, like, weird incel worldview, which is that, like, women are these sort of, like, not-quite-people who are, like, who have wrongly got hold to all the sex, which is, you know, just 100%. Like, sex is kind of seen in for medieval people and for, um, well, and for us, really. Sex is seen a lot more as a commodity. And a lot less like an activity that people engage in. And the way that, you know, incels kind of relate to it is that like women have wrongly appropriated all of the sex coins and that like, you know, what you're supposed to do as a man is go up and press the button. You press the kind button and then the sex falls out. But then like these women are not having the sex fall out when you tip your hat and say the lady. Um, and instead they're giving all the sex coins to the Chad Knights. And, you know, so like something needs to... Someone needs to like stop these ladies from having sex with who they want to, which is invariably the wrong person, as we see when Guinevere fucks Lancelot. You know, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Praxis. So is there anything you'd like the people to know? I've got my blog up by the, I've got my new medieval history coming out, which you've already kindly uh, plugged. But yeah, my Patreon, if you want to like support my nonsense, um, that would be really great because um, a bitch is trying to get drunk. <laughs> Please help fund Dr. Jenegermeister's drinking habits. That's what we want. Yeah. Uh, so um, my, yeah, my Patreon is Patreon slash uh, Going Medieval. Uh, basically, from a pound a month, whatever you get a bunch more good stuff for historians and medieval historians about their work or you know uh, there'll be lectures there's all sorts of stuff like that um but yeah like help i'm broke <laughs> we've been long my praxis if you like what you heard you can subscribe on itunes spotify or wherever you get your podcasts don't forget a five-star output deserves five-star reviews no reviewer two comments please Shout out to our biggest fan and most consistent listener, my mother, Faye. You can get in touch with us by emailing lawmypraxis at gmail.com or finding us on Twitter at lawmypraxis. Today's episode was brought to you by the letter T for tiny titties and the number 476 AD. Our shape this week is tiny titties, swan neck and a dump truck arse. Remember to tell your friends with apologies for a cross-posting. Bye!